Welcome back to the podcast, Ramiumptum Ruminations. My name is Scott, and I'm the host. Today's episode is called Book of Mormon Theodicies. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode. The subject for today is a continuation of the discussion last week in the episode, Why Is There Evil? It's uh, episode 81. Before I jump into the subject today, I'll do just a real quick, brief recap of the discussion last week. Then we'll get into things. But before I do that, I recently watched a movie and I'm, I'm hesitant to recommend it. Um, those that have been longtime listeners to the podcast know that I love movies. I go every couple of weeks. I've got the uh, AMC Stubbs pass, so I go as often as as uh, my schedule allows. I see a lot of movies, even ones that aren't very great. I enjoy a bad movie sometimes just as much as I enjoy a good movie. Anyway, I recently watched Brendan Fraser's The Whale, and it absolutely wrecked me. It was directed by Darren Aronofsky, and if you're familiar with his work, he's a director of Black Swan, Mother, The Wrestler. Most of his movies, at least the ones that I've watched, have been uncomfortable to sit through, and that's equally true for The Whale. The Whale was hard to sit through, but it was an amazing movie. Like I said, I was hesitant to recommend it because it is really a hard movie to watch. But the subject matter, I didn't know this going into it, the subject matter that it's at the front and center of the story is religious trauma. And specifically, religious trauma for a gay man. It is a very tragic story. And for many listeners, that might res- this type of story might resonate really well with you. But I do want to warn you, it is... A very rough movie to sit through. Um, I cried for just about the second half of the movie, like the entire time. It was, it was a brutal watch, but it was for me. It was really good. Now that might not be the case for everybody. Watch the trailer, see if it's something you, you would enjoy. But it's, I think it's a really, really great movie, and Brendan Fraser did an amazing job in it. So now we'll jump into the subject of the episode. So last week I did a brief introduction to the logical problem of evil and the natural problem of evil. I'll do a quick recap of what both of those things are. The logical problem of evil was previously, and I'll, I'll uh, explain this maybe, maybe this episode or maybe in a, in a future one, but it was previously used as a way to disprove the existence of God. But typically that's, that's not, um, that's not how this, this is applied anymore. I'll, uh, I'll get there. I'll get there. Sorry. So here's, here's the logical problem of evil. If God exists, then he's omnipotent, omniscient, and morally perfect or omnibenevolent, like all good, all knowing, all powerful. Typically the, the attributes that people say uh, describe God. If he's omnipotent, he has the power to eliminate all evil. If he's omniscient, then he knows when evil exists and he knows when it's going to happen and when it has already happened. 
if he's morally perfect or omnibenevolent, then God has the desire to eliminate all evil. The problem is that evil exists, and if evil, if evil and God both exist, then God doesn't have the power to eliminate all evil, he doesn't know when all evil is happening, or he doesn't have the desire to eliminate all evil. And that is, kind of in a nutshell, the problem of evil. The natural problem of evil, and this I won't cover too much in the episode, I uh, hope to cover some responses to it next week, specifically Joseph Smith's response to it, but the, the natural problem of evil is all of the evil, if we're going to use evil as a general term, children dying, um, diseases, pandemics, whatever, whatever you want to say, natural disasters, the natural problem of evil asks the question, if there is a loving God, all-powerful God, the same sort of premise as the first, why does evil exist that can't be attributed to the agency of a human being? So that's what's typically referred to as the natural problem of evil. Anytime someone tries to explain both the existence of God and rationalize it with the existence of evil, it's, it's called a theodicy. So today I want to cover a couple of the theodicies that are found within the Book of Mormon. I'm going to cover a couple of different passages within the Book of Mormon and how they address this problem of evil. To start this off, I'm going to go to uh, 2 Nephi 2 in 2 Nephi, where Lehi is speaking to his son Jacob. Regardless of how a listener wants to uh, interpret who actually is writing these words, that's how the text presents itself, and so that's, that's how I'm going to refer to it. I'm going to read a few of these. A couple of them are scripture masteries, and so they might sound familiar to a few listeners. In the, so 2 Nephi 2.11, it says, For it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. If not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass, neither wickedness, neither holiness nor misery, neither good nor bad. Wherefore, all things must needs be a compound in one. Wherefore, if it shall be one body, it must needs remain as dead, having no life, neither death, nor corruption, nor incorruption, happiness, nor misery, neither sense, nor insensibility. Then I'm going to skip a couple of verses to, to, the, um, to the ones pertinent to the discussion. And this, this is uh, 16. It says, Wherefore, the Lord God gave unto man that he should act for himself. Wherefore, man could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by the one or the other. And then skipping down even further, this is 27, says, Wherefore, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man, and they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil, for he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. This line of reasoning in 2 Nephi closely follows what I discussed last week from St. Augustine of Hippo in his work, Confessions. From what I understand of this, this argument in 2 Nephi um, goes off the assumption that free will does in fact exist and is, and is essential to what the, what the LDS would refer to as the plan of salvation. This ability to choose right from wrong. In 11, it makes, um, it makes the claim that in order to choose right, someone needs to know what wrong is and vice versa. And in order to, to know joy and experience joy, someone needs to know what pain is. 16 makes the claim that if men were not tempted to do good or bad, 
then their actions could not be labeled as either good or bad. They can't be, humans can't be making their own decisions if they don't understand the difference between good and bad. And in order to understand the difference, they have to experience both. And then 27 that I, that I cited, this is the one that's, that's real similar to the uh, St. Augustine of Hippo discussion where the exercise of human agency is what creates evil in this world. The reason we experience or witness evils in this world is because people exercise this agency and distance themselves from God. This is one of the theodicies that's expressed within the Book of Mormon, and it sounds very similar to some theodicies that go um, throughout that are uh, common within Christianity and have been discussed for thousands of years now at this point. So the next one I want to read is Alma 14, and this is a really interesting um, addition to the concept of of free agency and evil in the world. In Alma 14, Alma and Amulek have been this is this is the story where Alma and Amulek have been preaching. There's a bunch of people that have been converted and and uh, they've been talking to a man named Zezrom. Zezrom, however you want to say it. And after all of this preaching, Alma and Amulek are are bound and then all of the believers are brought forth and they are burned. And all of the scriptures that they have, everything is getting burnt. In Alma 14, 8, it says, And they brought their wives and children together, and whosoever believed or had been taught to believe in the word of God, they caused that they should be cast into the fire, and also brought forth their records, which contained the holy scriptures, and cast them into the fire also, that they might be burned and destroyed by fire. So here we have the prophet of God, Alma, and his missionary companion, Amulek, bound watching these people burn and be put to death because of their belief. In verse 10, it says, And when Amulek saw the pains of the women and children who were consuming in the fire, he also was pained. And he said unto Alma, How can we witness this awful scene? Therefore let us stretch forth our hands and exercise the power of God which is in us and save them from the flames. This, this story right here is grappling with the problem of evil in a very interesting way. Here you have the prophet of God set before an atrocity and watching these people getting murdered. And then his companion or, you know, the believer, the follower is asking, hey, we have the power of God on our side. Why don't we stop this? We need to stop this. This is evil. This is Alma's response. This is verse 11. It says, But Alma said unto him, The Spirit constraineth me that I must not stretch forth mine hand. For behold, the Lord receiveth them unto himself in glory, and he doth suffer that they may do this thing, or that the people may do this thing unto them, according to the hardness of their hearts, that the judgment which he shall exercise upon them in his wrath may be just." And the blood of the innocent shall stand as a witness against them, yea, and cry mightily against them at the last day. This is real similar to the concept from the Second Nephi 2 that we were discussing, where it's talking about um, the ability to do evil is distancing oneself, one's self from God. But it didn't address the acting an evil thing upon another human being. And in this scenario, we have 
we have the Lamanites murdering other Lamanites because of their belief in God. And the justification given is that God is allowing this to happen so he can condemn them later. If I understand this correctly, and please, if there's a believer listening, leave a comment, um, explain this in a, in a better way, because I, what I'm grasping, what I take from this is that God is acting complacent and letting these bad things happen so he can later damn these other human beings. My biggest complaint of the, the way the Book of Mormon is written is that everyone is very black and white. I discussed this a number of months back when we were talking about the plan of salvation and how I uh, talked about uh, a hypothetical Laban in front of God being judged. But Laban sees himself as the good guy. In this scenario, it's a little different. It, this is clearly a genocide that's happening, you know, a mass murder of people because of their beliefs or because of their, their identity, whatever you want to say. The point of this that just makes me uncomfortable and does not sit well with me is that God could do something. He could stop this, but he's letting it happen so that he can damn other people. So he's letting a horrible thing happen to these women and children. They're getting burned alive so that he can send the people that are burning them alive to hell or outer darkness, whatever their final destination would be. God cannot intervene because if he didn't intervene, he could not damn them. I'm a father of a couple of kids and my children haven't tried to murder each other. So I guess it's not a perfect <laughs> analogy, but they hurt each other's feelings regularly and they sometimes fight. I mean, they're kids. There was never an instance, there had never has been, and I don't ever foresee an instance where if one of my children hurts another child, I would want to punish either of them. I don't, I don't punish my children or get upset at them in a scenario where they're fighting with each other because I want to be mad at them. Frankly, it's not a punishment. It's a coaching and teaching moment. Just recently, my daughter said something mean about my son to one of their friends. And yes, I was very upset at my daughter, but it was a teaching moment where I could talk to her about what she did and help her learn why it was wrong. In my mind, a loving father who loves both the person committing the sin and the person that the evil is being acted upon, the loving father would love both of these people. I could not stand by and watch my child insult my other child. I would intervene and, and talk with them. That doesn't mean that my daughter didn't act poorly, but it became a moment where I could teach her and help her. My problem with this line of reasoning is just that. Why can't God step in, stop these great evils from happening, and teach his children to follow him better? I know that's not the pattern. It's not, that's not the reality that we experience, even for a believer, someone who does believe in God and follows the prophet and all of that. That's not the pattern. Does the reality that we live in have an implication on God. And that's precisely the problem of evil.
I'm going to talk about this maybe one more week, maybe two more weeks. But in an upcoming episode, I'll, I'll do a brief um, summary of the J.L. Mackey response to Alvin Plantiga's free will defense, where Mackey concedes that Mackey was an atheist philosopher. Mackey concedes to Plantiga that his defense of the problem of evil with his free will defense was sound and their exchange has largely put the problem of evil um, debate to bed or to rest. So people don't discuss it as a way to disprove God anymore. And then uh, anyway, I'll, I'll talk about some, some other interesting things down the road, the book of Mormon. And, and there's more, I could have covered a number of other um, exchanges and, and scriptures within the Book of Mormon that cover that are theodicies or that talk about the problem of evil and discuss and discuss it. But these two, I felt like were, were poignant to set up the problem and then express some of the shifts or some of the developments to the problem of evil that the Book of Mormon discuss, uh, specifically the Alma 14 one, and why they are so uncomfortable to me. As I said earlier, if there's a believer out there that's listening that wants to uh, open the discussion on this and talk about maybe a different way to look at this, I would be happy to listen to it. I think that I think it would be an interesting exchange to see um, how a believer in the Book of Mormon would rationalize or explain this sort of behavior, but this sort of rationalization of the problem of evil as explained in Alma 14. I feel like I just barely started talking about this and I have so much more to say, but uh, the episode's already uh, running about the length that I try and shoot for. So I'm going to wrap it up from here. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope that this discussion of the problem of evil and theodicies has been helpful. I know that for some people, jumping right back into the theology and doctrine of, of the church can be a little um, triggering. For me, it's just fascinating to analyze and try and um, understand more fully the things that are being taught in a way that never really was done within the walls of the church. I will recommend an article on this in the Interpreter, a journal for, journal for Latter-day Saint uh, Faith and Scholarship. There's an essay called A Mormon Theodicy, Jacob and the Problem of Evil. I wanted to discuss it a little bit within this episode, but, uh, just, but I, didn't, I didn't get to it. Uh, it is a fascinating article, really interesting stuff here. It's done from a faithful perspective, which is, which is totally fine. The author is Val Larson, and it, it was a fantastic read. This, was, this uh, essay is from 2015, so it's just a couple years old. Fascinating dive into some of the, um, some of the way that Jacob, specifically in the, the allegory of the olive tree, is addressing this problem of evil. In this, Val uses some of the passages within the allegory of the olive tree to express the idea that the reason the world we live in is evil is because more and more people are using their agency, distancing themselves from God, and that is what is killing the roots of the olive tree. And he uses a couple of passages to illustrate that this is the theodicy that's presented within the allegory of the olive tree. It's a fascinating um, analysis of these passages. I think it's a really interesting way to look at this allegory. Rather than seeing it uh, specifically through the lens of the scattering and gathering of Israel, he's using it to further understand 
why is there evil in the world? That, that's somewhere you can look into and, and, and study a little bit more on this subject. There's a couple more things that I want to cover before I um, leave this subject behind for a while. I want to talk about the Brothers Karamazov. I want to talk about an interesting shift from general Christianity and their conceptualization of the, the beginning of the problem of evil and how Mormon theology uh, fundamentally changes that in really interesting ways. Um, anyway, I just have so much more that I want to say on this subject. So we're going we're gonna to stick here for a while before we move on to something else. Wherever you find yourself out there, in the line at Starbucks waiting to get that morning coffee, I hope that you have an excellent day. <laughs>